We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be traveling through some scriptures, and I'm going to make you open them up. And you got to look at it with your own eyeballs to see what these things say. We're going to start in verse 17. We've read this several times by now. This is our, man, third time almost through it. We're on kind of, this is really part three. I have part two here, but this is, it doesn't matter. Verse 17. It says, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. That's the audience and the context that we're sitting in here in Acts chapter 20. It's important to remember that, so bear witness to that. Verse 18. When they had come to him, they said to them, uh, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. He says, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Jesus, have your way. We are your church, and we now come in very intentionally to sit underneath the teaching and the authority of your word. Would you minister it to us, and would you help us to understand it? The different layers that are going to be seen here for each person, though, would you speak a, a word straight to them? Jesus, this is your place. These are your people. Come and minister, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... We're only going to do, nor do I count my life dear to myself. We're pausing there. Last week was, and we're kind of building, and so if you're new or weren't here last week or the week before, we're just building on this verse, and we've just paused. It's just where the Lord has us. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Now, last week there was this path, right? And it's like this thing, and we were talking how Paul, at the very end of his path, could see these Change in tribulations that were waiting him. They were just waving at him. Here we are, Paul. What are you going to do? Change tribulations. And Paul looked at them, and he just said, whatever. None of these things move me. We talked about this was the position of God's will. And then being moved was going outside of it, right? So we kind of stepped like this. Now, we're going to be using this illustration for a bit. And I want to make it clear that this step is not outside of salvation, okay? So just so we're theologically sound here, we're just stepping outside of the Lord's will for our life in that particular instance. He, he still loves you. We're going to get all that. I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. But this is what Paul had. This is what you have, what is in front of you. A lot of you aren't going to know exactly what that means. Paul had a little bit of a heads up, and we'll get to that. But none of these things move him. But then he goes on to say, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Well, what does that mean? And is this thing, a ne- is it necessary? And it seems like there's a flow here within Scripture that's important for you to consider. And this can get 
really crazy and a little heavy of like, how do you handle scripture like this? Does it really mean what it says? Am I really supposed to count my life not dear? Well, let's look at it. We'll we'll look into this. But there's a connection. And we'll get into this next week on like, well, why exactly is that? I don't, I'm not moved. I don't count my life dear. Here's the reason why, he says, so that I can finish my race with joy and the ministry that God has given me to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. Those two things, not being moved and not counting your life dear, that seem to have a tremendous impact in his ministry. And that having that kind of a resolve or, or mindset, perhaps you could say, man, that, that actually enabled him to walk in what God had called him to do. And so there's a particular resolve here, a coming to terms with what God has called you to, your purpose and so on. And so we'll talk about planting or growing roots and how important that is. When he says, nor do I count my life dear to myself, what exactly does he mean? And I promise it's, a, it's about as straightforward as that, but we'll talk about in what sense are we referring to it. We'll get to it. What does it mean to ha- count your life dear? That word dear is of a great price, nor do I count my life dear, and you'll notice it says to myself, great price or held in honor, precious. Paul's basically saying, I'm not going to worry about the fact whether my life's precious or not. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm moving on. It's not his concern. That's not what he's looking at. And so we have this interesting worldview, perhaps you could say, where there's one sense in which your life has immeasurable value. We'll talk about that in a second. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. And Paul's like kind of treading that water where, man, if I hold myself to be dear, I'm going to miss something. And so that's maybe the encouragement for today for you guys to have an ability or maybe a chance, I should say, to sit here and to come to terms with the calling God's put on your life, your purpose, And then, well, what does it mean? What's it come to? Are you ready for that? That we're not doing, and I had mentioned this, I think, last week, kind of tongue-in-cheek, in in no way being, like, weird or rude, but, like, we're not doing our best life now thing. That's not what we do as Christians. It doesn't work. It's incongruent with what Scripture teaches us. That's not what it's about. Your best life, listen, is coming. It's in heaven. That's what you're concerned with. That's what you should look to. Does that mean your life is full of misery and despair? Listen, maybe. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to say that. But I got to be honest with you, don't I? (laughs) I'm going to be real, you guys. It's possible. We spent time praying last service with people, you guys, whose lives are really hard right now. Here's what's up. Your life's going to be hard whether you follow Jesus or not. The beautiful thing about Jesus is we have a hope in heaven. And also, we have an experience that like God will take this stuff right now and he'll make it beautiful. Like he does do that. And so your pain and your suffering, man, God uses it for his glory. That's so cool. You take it and you give it to him. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy or whatever. I get it, guys. Believe me. But man, I feel like I've got to be honest with you. I do not want us to become disenfranchised or disillusioned to the fact or the thought that there's something, if I follow God, 
well, then I'll be blessed and he'll listen to me and do what I ask. Guys, that's not it at all. He does love you in a way that's incalculable. And so Paul says, I don't count my life dear to myself. I want to learn from that. In a room like this with many of you that I know fairly well, <laughs> like this would resonate, I hope, in your hearts where you could look at that and think, yeah, I want to say that. If you count your life dear to yourself, though, let's say you count it dear. You hold it to be precious and you're careful with what you do. What happens? A couple things, thoughts that you can add to this list, but you will live a life of timidity. You will be timid. When you should say something, you don't. You live small, right? It's a small life because you count your life dear or precious and so you're, you're watching out. I can't go too far, too fast, or do this because what if something happens to me? I get it. Hey, I'm, I'm right there with you, okay? <clears throat> I'm with you. I'm not being like unkind or, or anything of that nature. I'm just saying this is real. I struggle with these things, okay? Small life, uh, you live a life of selfishness where my decision-making process is filtered through how will this affect me or impact me instead of what has God asked of me, which is really all that matters, right? But you filter things through what's this going to do to me? How are people going to think of me or whatever the situation is? Like that's a real and present danger to following after the Lord. If I count my life dear to myself, it gets in the way of ministry. I get in the way of ministry. You are going to be fragile because you're not anchored or rooted or built up in Christ. You will not take risks if you count your life dear to yourself. You won't take steps of faith because it's scary and risky to do so if you count your life dear to yourself. You will live a safe life, and that's boring. Who wants to live that way? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times me. And we probably wrestle and struggle through this, and I want to encourage you with this. If that's you, I want you to know this. The Lord loves you and cares for you so much. It's called grace. I'm going to tell you what, though. He loves you so much, he does not want you to stay there. He wants you to move and grow and trust him. All of those things would be like symptoms of just not trusting God and his goodness, his plan, and his purpose for your life. And so this is why it's cool to sit and like, hey, we are in God's word, and we're just like learning, man, that's true. I'm afraid to do this, scared to take that risk, because I don't really trust the Lord. It boils down to that. I want to trust him. I do. You know, and I know you guys do as well. And so we wrestle. God will allow things to come into our path. We sidestep it and fumble and fall. And he's right there to pick us up. And hey, let's try that again. And he allows things to happen in your life, you guys. He does. He's faithful because it's going to draw you near to him. That's the hope and that's the end, is that you would know him. And so for those who are there and it's like, I totally count my life dear to myself. Listen, I want you to know that the Lord loves you. He cares for you. His grace is sufficient. Even when you're in a place like that of honestly, it would be rebellion where you're just not going to trust him. But hey, check it. You're wrestling through these things. And that's the hope. There's like just willful rebellion where I know that I'm wrong and God, I don't care. Hey, God loves you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? His grace. But boy, he's going to make it hard for you. I think he's going to, he, he wants to teach you to trust him. I get that. I'm right there with you. It's important for you to realize that you are, pre you are precious. 
priceless and invaluable. You are. And we're going to talk about it. That your life is valuable, that your life has an inherent and intrinsic value and worth because you're made in the image of God. It has nothing to do with what you've done or who you are. or Any value comes from God. He ascribes it to you, and we live in accordance with that. No matter your viability as a human or anything, your life has intrinsic value. That is true right now today. And you should rejoice because there's no worldview that upholds life in such an incredible way. Every single life, womb to tomb, is valuable. That's because God says so. You can't take that away. Your life is precious, but you are to live like a warrior. And you are to let God dictate how you conduct your life. And that's where it gets a little crazy. Because as Paul's on this road, and maybe you guys are on that road too, whatever comes ahead, <clears throat> I got to be like, okay, God, I trust you. <laughs> like, I, I'm in this with you, Lord, and I'm going to trust you. Even though my life is precious, whatever's in front of me is what God ha has ordained. And if that puts me in harm's way or danger or despair or hardship or whatever it might be, whatever word you want to use, then we just would say as believers, like, okay, whatever. That would be nice. That's what Paul was saying. I don't even care. Whatever. I'm going to follow after him. Okay, real quick, as far as for illustration's sake, I want you to consider the value of these purpose-built weapons. This was just for fun, so you can get an idea, a little taste of where your tax dollars go, okay? The first one is the M1 Abrams tank. Go ahead and throw that picture up there. Cool-looking tank. This thing was built, I think it rolled out of the assembly line in 1974 or something, and it's had subsequent upgrades and so on. This bad boy right here, for just one, cost $14.5 million. That's a lot of money. That's a cool-looking tank for sure. $14 million is a lot of money. I don't even understand $14 million. But it's a lot of money. And that tank is built to be shot at, potentially destroyed. So you could say it's valuable, right? Undoubtedly, $14 million is a fairly valuable thing. Imagine if you're holding something that's worth that much money in your hands, you would probably take care of it, likely. But this thing is literally built to go into war and to be shot at and, and to be blown up. It also does its own blowing up as well. <clears throat> Purpose-built weapon. Precious, valuable, super worthy, or worth, worth a lot, right? Sorry but meant to go into battle, okay? Hopefully you're seeing the picture here when Paul says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Can you imagine the tank going and like I'm built for battle and then a, and then a war begins and he's like, oh, I'm not built for that. And he just steers away. And he's like going off over there and everybody's like, I, we need, you, you were made for this. What are you doing? Why are you going that way, right? I get it. What are you, what's your purpose? And he knows his purpose. He knows that I'm going straight into battle. That's what I was built for. You were built for, okay, $14.5 million. How about that? The next one, fifth generation fighter. This is the F-35. It was a joint thing. It's not the, the Raptor. It's like our special one, the U.S. at least. But this bad boy, <laughs> that's a cool looking plane. <clears throat> this one cost a cool $136 million per plane. These come in different kinds and different price tags. The really expensive one uh, can do an unconventional takeoff, so not a normal takeoff and landing. They can do that as well, I guess. This is just what I've learned by reading. But the, the ones that are expensive can do like a vertical type of a takeoff. 
$136 million right there. It does all kinds of things. I won't go into all of its capabilities. That's a lot of money. $136 million a pop. And we we have a lot of them. That's a lot. That's valuable, you could say. And yet you know what its mission is? among lots of other things, to fly into combat and to fight. That's what it's made for. You realize that? It's made to go into harm's way. That's what it was fashioned and designed to do. And also to like actually do something pretty cool. It's a really cool plane. <clears throat> a lot of you are sitting out there wondering, what does this cost to operate for a year? Hey, I got you. Seven million dollars every year just to operate that thing. Fuel, maintenance, upgrades, pilots, salary. I don't know how they, I don't know what all goes into that, but that's all it costs. Just $7 million every single year to operate an F-35. But hey, it's got a purpose. I'm thankful for it. Thank you, people who designed that and protect our country. I'm thankful. <clears throat> okay, really valuable, but goes into harm's way. You guys tracking with me? Nor do, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'm just trying to put some pictures. It helps me. Last one is the brand new aircraft carriers, the Ford class series things. Oh my goodness, look at it. <clears throat> I want to point this out too, real quick. That the F-35 and the M1 Abrams, let's say the F-35, it's not built for air shows, right? It comes to air shows and people ooh and awe over them, but it is not built for an air show. It's not built to look cool. It's not built to be like, wow, how fast is that? And it can do this jate or whatever. It's not built for that. It can do it. It's not what it's made for. It's like you're not made for that just to look cool. You're built for a purpose. This bad boy, Ford whatever class aircraft carriers, this thing right here that you're looking at, this is actual, that, that is the one right there. Right there, that's the one. It costs $13 billion to make. What does that mean? I don't even know. $13 billion. That doesn't even make sense. <clears throat> That's a pretty cool thing. And that thing holds the $136 million airplanes, right? And so there's a lot of value in an aircraft carrier. You can imagine that. <clears throat> a lot of value here. A lot of preciousness, maybe you could say, just to make it make sense with what I'm trying to do here this morning. $13 billion interestingly enough, it costs $4.7 billion in research and development to make it. And so we got some money wrapped up in this thing, don't we? All of us, we own it. We own that because we, we paid for it. That's a cool aircraft carrier, capable of some incredible things. That is the most expensive thing the U.S. military has as far as a price tag is concerned. There's some destroyers and other things that do some really cool stuff, but they don't cost as much as that. $13 billion. But you can see that it is built to go off the coasts of various countries. What does it do? Right now, it, it flexes. It's a giant bicep flex of America. That's what this thing is. It really just sits off the coast and says... $13 billion flex right here. Can do a lot, but it was made, born for battle. It is made to go into harm's way. Made to accomplish missions, to accompany other missions, to be used in joint operations with various other things, be it tanks and fighter jets, right? That is what it's made for. 
And I hope you see the illustration. I know that it's obvious. But those are some really valuable things. Paul says, I don't count my life dear to myself. What do you mean, Paul? You are precious. You are valuable. In fact, you don't have to look any further than four more verses. Let's look at verse 28 in terms of how valuable are you. Paul says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. How valuable are you? Well, valuable enough to be purchased with the blood of Jesus. Now, I understand you're sitting there, anything like me, you're like, wow, that's probably a lot. It's an an unspeakable value. Like, I, I know that, you know what I'm saying? I don't understand it. Like, I just don't understand the gravity of what that all means. Jesus died so that I could be bought. I was in sin and rebellion, and he died so that I could be forgiven. <clears throat> in fact, when I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me, and it was a demonstration of God's love. How about that? If you ever question how valuable you are, listen, the world doesn't have anything to do with it. Don't listen to the world. It's full of it. you got to look back 2,000 years to a moment in time when your love was sealed forever on the cross. That's how much you are valued. That's how much you are loved. And upon having been saved, <clears throat> you enter in to a purpose. You enter, you enter into something really fun. It's called God's plan and God's design and God's purpose. And I would maybe submit to you this morning that it might mean um, putting yourself, so to speak, in harm's way. And that you have to come to terms with that and be ready. As we read these <clears throat> incredible words here by Paul, I, I look at that and I think, yeah, like I want to be able to say that. And I want to live a life like that. Do I fall short of it? Yes. <clears throat> But my true value and worth, listen, for those of you who struggle with these things, your true value and your worth and even your design and purpose is anchored to or fully realized at the cross of Jesus. You have to go back there and remember that he did that for you and for me. And there's incredible rest that you can find right there. <clears throat> that your worth and value doesn't come from what he says or she says, what the world says, <clears throat> what you've done or what you haven't done, none of those things matter. Let this sink in real deep. It's found in Christ. You run to him. You go to him. The cross of Christ, man, rest right there. In fact, your proximity to Jesus is directly proportional to the amount of value and love you're going to experience. It's just like a science experiment. I, I encourage you to try it out. Hang out with Jesus and see if this is true. Spend time with him. Draw near to him. Spend time in the word and prayer. And you'll experience a love and a care and a closeness that is so deeply satisfying. <clears throat> it is like you were made for it, which you were for him. Interestingly enough, I think also that as you draw near to the Lord, you worry less and less about all those things, like how valuable. No, no, you don't even worry about it. You're so satisfied in Christ. Listen, this is ideal. We wrestle through these things, you guys. I know that. 
Each one of us are in different places of that wrestle of like trying to, am I, I don't feel like I'm valuable. I don't, I don't sense it from the people around me or whatever else it might be. I get it. So much of my life was driven to just get people's appreciation. And I would do things or not do things so that someone would offer me that, right? But I have it all in Jesus. Those aren't just religious words. This is like an actual experience that you can have through Jesus Christ. It's right there. You have it. You care less and less about it because you're more and more satisfied by him. I would encourage you to test that and hang out with the Lord and see what happens. Give yourself to him fully and completely. See what happens. <clears throat> okay, you're worth a whole lot. You're valuable, more valuable than an aircraft carrier. But Jesus did not save me to keep me safe. He didn't save you to keep you safe. Chew on it for a second, but there are some things he has made us safe from. A couple things real fast. We are safe from hell. I don't have to worry about that. I'm saved from it. I don't have to worry about, or you can say, I am safe from the consequences of my own rebellion against God. Then, now, and then in the future. I'm safe from that. Jesus took it upon himself, man. I'm set free from it. I'm safe from abandonment because he said he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. This is good news. Meaning that when you're alone, desperate, and feel abandoned, guess who's there? He is. And he loves you. I am safe from worry about the future because he loves me. He's going to take care of me. I'm not suggesting at all that means things are going to be thumbs up, A-okay. I'm actually suggesting to you the opposite. And so you just kind of buckle up, grow some roots, and enjoy Jesus. I am safe from purposelessness. That you can wake up tomorrow and not wonder why you exist. You exist to know him and to bring him glory. To live a life like that is deeply satisfying, but it's in him. You guys have done enough, probably, of digging wells out here. Cisterns that hold no water. You spend a lot of time digging, man. You're going in there, and you're doing that work, and you get to the bottom, and you expect to find water, that which will bring life to you, and there's nothing. It's empty. It's devastating, isn't it? It's what the world offers us, man. I've been there. I've tried. I've gone. It's nothing. The world doesn't have it, man. You dig down there and you hit a little bit. You guys know when you're digging at the ocean and you're digging and you finally get to the water where it's there and you're like excited and then it all just drains away and you're like, ah. And you dig more and it just seems to go. It's like, ah, oh, you're just chasing stuff. Constantly chasing. But the Lord Jesus gives you purpose. You find it in him. You rest in him. You enjoy him. <clears throat> and in him you will find purpose. A full understanding of our calling and purpose changes everything. And I want to illustrate this to you. Go to Acts chapter 9. A full understanding of our calling and our purpose changes everything, at least in terms of perhaps your resolve and how you'll live out your life. If we were in phases, this is like the last phase of today. So hang in there. <clears throat> Got a few scriptures to go to. 
a full understanding of your calling and purpose changes everything. How is it that Paul could sit there and legitimately say, none of these things move me? What? What are you talking about, Paul? The fact that you were going to experience being arrested and you were going to experience people persecuting you and hurting you and beating you. Verse 15, Acts chapter 9, But the Lord has said to him, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. He's talking to Ananias to go talk to Paul. Paul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. What was Paul's purpose? Well, guess what? It was pretty similar to ours. Go and make disciples of all nations. All right, cool. He was specifically going to be going to the Gentiles and kings. We actually see this play out in the book of Acts. He's eventually going to stand before people like that. We'll get to it one day. And then, of course, the children of Israel. He had a really burning passion for the nation of Israel. But notice verse 16. Jesus says, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The road that Paul was on was full of suffering, but it was for the sake of Christ. And guess what? Paul said, well, bring it on. <laughs> right? He just plants his roots in Jesus, and he says, whatever is in front of me, it's not going to move me. I want to follow after him because he's worthy of it. Jesus says, he's worthy of it. <clears throat> well, where did Jesus learn this? Sorry, where did Paul learn this? Guess what, Jesus. Okay, go to John chapter 12, and we're going to see this heart or sentiment found in Jesus first and foremost. John chapter 12, we'll start in verse 23, but just so you know, it's actually a funny thing because some Greek proselytes, that means people who had converted maybe to Judaism or had some relationship to Judaism, they were wanting to see Jesus. So then Philip and Andrew are like, Jesus, these guys want to talk to you. And Jesus completely ignores them. And I think it's hilarious. That's all I have to say about that. Verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Here we're talking purpose and fruit. And it can be difficult to stomach this, to swallow it, to come to terms with it. But guys, I just want to encourage you. Jesus understood something that's maybe like really important. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it is worthless. The purpose of a piece of grain is to produce more fruit. And from that fruit, then more fruit is produced, right? And Jesus is understanding and trying to teach them, you got to die in order to produce fruit. We'll die to what? I think it's very similar to what Paul is trying to articulate. I don't count my life dear to myself. That would be the equivalent of, I'm dead. Old man's crucified. I'm alive in Christ. New creation. The old me, he's dead. He'll make it even more clear in verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. Now, fast, isn't that so contrary to the world that we live in? If you love your life, you're going to lose it. Well, the world says, no, you need to love you first. Now listen, you have been loved first, and that was Jesus. He loved you first so that we can then love others. You need to be anchored in him and his love. You loving yourself is another well over here out of his will where you're just digging and it's just going to be empty. You guys have probably tried it. We live in that culture right now. It's empty. You guys have been there, man. I know it. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also, and if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now you'll notice something interesting as Jesus applies this in real time in verse 27. 
My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Hey, I want you to be encouraged. Jesus knows what it's like to be in trouble. He knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to have those emotions and feelings and all those things. That's why we go to him. He says, my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Or what should I do? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? What's he saying? It's getting ready to get real nasty for Jesus, right? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows what's coming. He's read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. In fact, he inspired them, right? He knows them. He knows what's going on, and he's like, disciples, listen. What's getting ready to come down, my path is not going to be fun. What should I do? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and cried out to God, will you take this cup from me, and, but not my will, yours? That, that is called not counting your life dear to yourself. None of these things move me. That, Jesus did that for us on our behalf. He's lived it out. Now we, as we become like him, get to walk in that as, as we can, right? As he gives us ability and as his grace is, is given out to us. And so, Father, save me from this hour. And it's as if Jesus is like, absolutely not. He's like, don't you realize, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Do you see how your purpose impacts everything? He's just like, why would I want to get out of this? I'm here for this. This is exactly why God has brought me to this place, the Father. If anyone, but for this purpose, sorry, I came to this hour. And I just want to encourage you guys, know what it is that you're called to and what your purpose is. Because when you do endure those things that are in front, you're able to have that resolve and just resting in Christ. Like, I'm trusting that you brought this along and you're going to be enough to get me through it. It also allows you to just head right into whatever there is, whether you are a tank or a jet or an aircraft carrier like, if your orders are to go, then you go. You just do it. It's what you were made to do. And it is no different with us right now following Christ. I just want to encourage you. Just be ready. Settle it in your hearts, right? I'm with you. Like, Lord, just do this work in me. Even this morning, crying out, how do I do this? I don't know. Well, we'll get to that. Sorry, okay. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 16 talks about the Beatitudes. And then he goes into talking about persecution, purpose, and so on. Just take note of it. I'm just going to reference it. That's all. But it talks about persecution, blessed and enduring, and so on and so forth. Paul says in Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's like a promise. <laughs> oh, man, that's a bummer. But it's part of it. It's important. Hey, listen, I know that we've gone through these things, and I don't know if it feels super repetitive to you. I hope not. <clears throat> I hope within the context here in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, you understand why we're doing this and why we've slowed down. I just don't. Like, there's certain aspects of the world that, like, permeate our, you know, the church and Western society and culture, and we think that, like, being religious or following after Jesus is, is something that will advance me and thumbs up will be given to me. And that's just, I just want you to know that's not the case. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have to prepare for what, it, what will happen when we don't bend ourselves to the world that we live in. 
What will happen if we continue to maintain or hold to a really simple biblical sexual ethic? What will happen to it? What will happen to us? It's likely that down the road, we're going to lose our tax-exempt status. We're going to lose the ability to maybe even to have a school here because we hold fast to these things in Scripture. Simple stuff. Like a man's a man and a woman's a woman and continuing to just believe that in love and in, in simplicity. You guys, it's going to cost us. We recognize that. I think we have a while. Praise the Lord. We live in a wonderful state. But it's creeping in, man. <clears throat> we recognize that. And so what you could do is say, you know what, let's step over here and let's take a new look at it. And let's just see, what did God really mean when he said these things, you know? And, ah, man, it's tempting, isn't it? It certainly can be. But that's an illustration of like, none of these things move me. Hopefully as a church, you guys could say that. We're just going to keep loving people. We're going to keep sharing the gospel with people. We're going to help them know that Jesus loves them and has created them as they are for a reason. And they can find hope and life and peace in that. We got a beautiful message, you guys. There is no message like the message of Jesus and his love and his care for us on our behalf. There's nothing like it. <clears throat> Make sure that's on our lips, that love. Okay, we're going to finish with this. Matthew 13, 21. I'm going to see this is one of those things where in my head this all makes sense, but we'll see if it actually makes sense to anybody else but me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. If you want to turn there, that's fine. It'll also be on the screen. Jesus said, but he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Why does he receive it with joy? Because the message of the gospel is awesome. I've been set free from guilt and shame and sin, and I've become a son or a daughter of the king, and I have access to the riches of all of that. Sweet. That's good news. I don't have to live for the flesh. And experience that kind of despair that only the world has to offer? Sign me up. I want that. I want Jesus, right? I get it. Amen to it. But notice what happens. He has no root in himself. And I love the wording. That, that's a, in, in himself, right? In, but he endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, he imme immediately he stumbles. And so what happens is, he had no root. Because when tribulation and stuff arises, he, it's almost like he picked himself up and went over here to this soil, and there's nothing here. There are no nutrients. There's no viability. There's nothing here. I'm only going to experience life and a fruitfulness of life in Christ. That's it. And yet, like, here this temptation of I see trials and tribulations coming. Oh, man, I got to get out of the way. So I uproot myself, and I come over here, and I try to plant roots, and I die. There's nothing there. And so that's why there's this tremendous encouragement to be anchored in Christ. Jesus is the next step. That's all there is to it. He's the one that we are desperately in need of. I want to anchor myself or pretending this platform's Jesus, or at least this shadow that I'm in is Jesus, okay? I want to be anchored and rooted there. Grow some roots in Christ and don't move. Again, do you remember we started out by saying we're not talking saved, unsaved. That's not what we're talking about, you guys. We're talking about this is the will of God. I want to just walk in it. This is sin. Repent and go back here. Yeah? That's pretty straightforward. You would confess like, Lord, I've, I've been living over here because I'm afraid of whatever to whatever. I just don't understand it. Now I recognize that's not good. And so forgive me. And I come back over here and I just rest in the work of the cross. And I obey by the power of his spirit and through his grace. I mean, that's pretty simple. 
I know that it's difficult to wrestle through it all, but this is a place of death. This is a place of life. Jesus, right here. Anchor yourself right there. You want to endure the storms that are coming and not be afraid? Because we are not to be afraid. We would say, bring it on, Lord. Whatever you have, we are like, yes, go for it, Lord. That doesn't mean it'll be easy or fun. It actually could be miserable and devastating. But we have Jesus, and that's enough. Confess, repent, rest, and obey. Very quickly, Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 17. If you're taking notes, just write it down, but maybe mentally log it if you're a genius and not taking notes. <clears throat> Deals with the idea or concept of being rooted and established in the Lord or in the Word, okay? Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 7, very much the same thing, being rooted and established in Him. If you want to know where to go, you go to the Lord Jesus every day. But we're going to end Psalm chapter 1, and then we'll get out of here. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms right in the middle, and then go to the number one psalm. The word blessed means, oh, how happy. I think you'll find out why this particular person is, oh, so happy. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That would be the world. I'm not going to listen to the world and what it says. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. It's like his word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Where does it go? You guys see it, man? It's being rooted by these rivers of water. Guess who gives us living water? Jesus does. Where should you root yourself? In him. How do you root yourself? Man, we've got his word. We just read it. In his law, he meditates day and night that you would feast upon this bad boy right here. Knowing him, hanging out together and worship and fellowship with other believers and so on, living out a life of obedience. Oh my goodness, yes. You'll notice that it brings forth its fruit in its season. That is God's timing. Because you could be sitting there like, man, I'm walking through this. I'm trying to anchor myself in Christ. Where's the fruit? Hang in there. Don't grow weary in doing good. Know that it'll be in its time. Endure. Continue to be anchored to Christ. And whatever he does shall prosper. That's like being useful. Remember how Timothy, or sorry, Paul talked about being useful. I want to be useful. The world needs Jesus. Here I am. Lord, can you use me? Can he use you guys? Yeah. What's he desire? Man, that I'm anchored in Christ, rooted in him, knowing him. It's a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? We should probably be done. So let's pray. All right. Father, we need your help. In order to walk these things out and in order to see them actually become real, like I just need you. I can't do this on my own. I read scripture and I, I, I recognize that these things are so good and valuable. and I've tasted it. I've seen it how good it is to walk with you and how sweet it is to, to rest and to obey and to be anchored and rooted in you, I know is good, Lord. There's so many areas in my life where I feel like I'm just swayed and, and moved. And so God would just ask as a fellowship of people that you would work in our hearts and that we would cry out and we would want you. 
that if we aren't saved, we would cry out even now. Recognize that you're Lord and that you have risen from the dead and you're the king of all, that you have saved us. And so we look to you, Jesus. It's all you. Ask that you would have your way in your people and that you would show us what this might look like. What are the next steps? How can we be doers of your word, not hearers only? And that's all you, Lord. We just, we trust you with it. Would you now have your way among your people? You've purchased us with your own blood. How valuable and beautiful is each person here. We thank you for the the hope of the gospel, the fact that you're coming back for your church. That's exciting. We have a hope of heaven, but until then, Lord, would you show us our purpose, knowing that we were born for battle, built so purposeful to go and get after it for you. So, Lord, help us to know you. Help us to make you known. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.